The rules around gene editing of crops are changing. What does that mean? Is it a good thing or are we tampering with nature? So there's no foreign DNA being entered into the plant or animal. So from that point of view, it could have been a genetic cross which could have occurred uh, without human interference. We'll hear from NFU Vice President Tom Bradshaw and there's a new deal on offer for sugar beet growers. We're really pleased we're able to offer an improvement on those contracts and it's a consequence of you know the sugar market has improved significantly so it's brilliant that we can share some of that upside with with our grower base. Nick Morris from British Sugar will be here shortly. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Plus Sean Sparling with some timely agronomy advice. Kit Dickinson reviews the markets and we'll see if it's going to continue raining all week. Good morning. Welcome to October. Hope you're well. I'm Steve Orchard. In the news this week, increases in milk prices have been announced. Medina Dairy has announced a 1.7 pence per litre increase. Muller, one pence. And Freshways, who are actively seeking to recruit more producers, announced a 1.5 pence per litre increase, but with a six-month guarantee that the price won't fall below 30 pence. A Lincolnshire farm is offering people the chance to earn £30 an hour or £240 a day to to pick broccoli and cabbage amid the crippling labour shortage. TH Clements and Son is recruiting the Boston-based jobs, sharing details of them on social media. The all-year-round crop picker roles pay the equivalent of a £62,000 a year salary. The food and farming industry sent a letter to Prime Minister Boris Johnson last week asking him to urgently implement a COVID recovery visa to alleviate those labour shortages. And last weekend, the government announced that it had added 5,500 poultry workers and 5,000 fuel tanker and food lorry drivers to existing visa schemes, but no help for the pig sector. NFU Vice President Tom Bradshaw said the union welcomed the announcement but added that more solutions will be needed for wider labour needs. He said the NFU has worked with the wider industry to help evidence the needs of the sector and we look forward to working with the government on applying the scheme for poultry and in particular access for smaller producers. We will also continue to work, he said, with governments to find solutions for the wider labour needs, including trained and able butchers for pork production to deal with the increasingly serious build-up of pigs on farms. Prices and demand at British wool auctions continue to increase despite challenges in terms of haulage, transport and energy prices. The fifth British wool sale of the 2021 season took place this week and saw competitive bidding across the full range of types. Prices increased as a result and there was a 99% clearance with 1.2 million kilos of wool sold. Once again, there was particular interest in the blackface wool, as well as continuing interest in the medium and mule wool. Welsh Mountain was also sought after, and specialist types such as blue-faced Leicester once again achieved record prices. Since the start of the year, auction prices have increased by over 35%, with the average price in last week's sale reaching 73 pence a kilo. And a new myth-busting toolkit has been launched to empower farmers to kickstart positive conversations around red meat in the lead-up to COP26 at the end of the month. It includes responses to some of the biggest myths plaguing UK farming, such as methane emissions, water usage, grazing, land use and red meat consumption. Interested? Just search COP26 on qmscotland.co.uk. Now, NFU Sugar and British Sugar have announced a one-year sugar beet contract from 2022, including the continuation of the Virus Yellows Assurance Scheme, a futures-linked option and a new local premium. 
Nick Morris from British Sugar. Good morning. What is on offer then? Yes, good morning, Steve. Um, thanks for having me uh, on the show. So i just give you a quick run through of uh, the agreement we reached with NFU Sugar. So the 2022 fixed price annual contract of £27 per tonne, which is a 33% increase year on year uh, to the 2021 crop. And we've also uh, reached agreement on offering growers which already contracted on a on a multi-year contract an upgraded offer. So in exchange for a contract extension of one year, we can offer those growers uh, a fixed price of £25 a tonne for the remaining term of their contract. So those multi-year contracts, we'd, we'd actually contracted at £21.18 either last summer or two summers ago. We're really pleased we're able to offer an improvement on those contracts and it's a consequence of you know the sugar market has improved significantly so it's brilliant that we can share some of that upside with with our grower base but we only have a limited vision in terms of what the sugar market will be doing um what's the futures linked part of the contract how does that work so we're running a pilot for the the crop in the ground. We offered up to 100 growers to take part in that pilot uh, for this year. And growers can choose to allocate a proportion of their contract. For next year, we've offered up to 10% of their total contract on a futures-linked variable-priced contracting arrangement. So part of their allocated tonnage, they can take decisions throughout the year when they will price that sugar beet. And it will be determined by the forward-looking futures contract and we have a, a mechanism with a trading partner uh, called Zarnico, which is an agreement and a few sugar set up, whereby they can take those pricing decisions throughout the year. And it reflects what the sugar market is doing. So if the sugar market improves, as we've seen over this last year, the value of that sugar beet will also improve. So we haven't yet completed a full year, hence it being an extended pilot. But uh, we are able to offer that to all growers. And it's um, hopefully a you know a helpful and interesting choice which growers can choose depending on their risk appetite. And there's also a, a new local premium, isn't it? If you've got farmers who are close to Newark, in our case, how does that work? That's right, Steve. So we have yeah, introduced this local premium, which provides up to an additional £2 per tonne for the first nine miles, and then it reduced by 10p a tonne every mile thereafter, up to 28 miles. And basically, the, the logic here is we have a benefit currently, um, and always have had from uh, you know the cost of our sugar beet being lower uh, from growers, where it uh, moves a, a shorter distance because we pay an incremental transport allowance. So the local premium is designed just to give that benefit back to the growers that are in our close proximity, basically. OK, Nick, so let's talk about the crop that's in the ground and that huge nightmare of last year, virus yellows. Yeah, that's right. I mean, last year was a challenging season, but the crop we've got ahead of us looks really promising. Early yields seem encouraging, very low amounts of virus yellow, or if, if any, in many parts. We retained the virus yellows assurance scheme, which we launched last year, and that uh, really is designed to um, complement the contract. It's a £12 million Virus Yellows Assurance Fund, which we've put in place for three years. And that really is to um, provide you know, additional reassurance to growers beyond just price alone. But uh, you know, should Virus Yellows be a feature in the crop again, then uh, there'll be some support there. Good stuff. All right, Nick, thanks for joining us on the programme again. Thanks for having me on. Cheers, Steve. Andrew Ward from Lednam. You're a beet grower. What's your opinion on the new contract terms? It's interesting, Steve, because whichever way you look at it, you could choose a different option if whether you renew or not. The one-year contracts have got a price next year of £27 per tonne against the current three-year price 
if we extend our contract by a year of 25. And it's a question of do we stick to the old contract price, which is sort of 20, 21, 22 pounds a ton and not renew, or do we renew for a year and then miss out after that? So it is a, it's a tricky one, Steve, to get your head around at the minute. If you don't renew, what happens then? Are you just at the mercy of whatever the price might be this time next year? Yes, I mean, that, that is the case. In, in our own situation, the crop we have in the ground at the moment is currently year two of a three-year contract. If we don't renew that contract, then we won't be going to beat the year after that unless we decide to renew it on a one-year contract where you get more money for it. So it is a tricky one to decide. Some farmers are saying that they, they've been in sugar beet a long while, the three-year contract is actually achieving a less price per tonne than any new grower who's growing it on a one-year contract. And you can see that in, in a way. So it, there's a lot of decisions to be made for this next coming crop. It's a sort of a tricky time. And as you say, the calculator needs to be going furiously. Okay, dokie. And what's the situation? Are you lifting yet? We started lifting on Tuesday and the crop was coming out the ground very, very well, despite it being hard. We weren't snapping off many roots in the ground. That is always a danger when it is hard. We were probably only snapping on off probably 5% in the ground. So we we're very pleased with that. And the size of the roots was really, really good. So I was surprised at that. But of course, we are on moisture retentive land. We haven't had any in the factory yet. So I'm unsure of the sugar content and the actual yield of the crop. But that will be happening this next week. Once again, Andrew, thank you for joining us. That's great, Steve. Thank you very much. Thanks to Andrew and Nick for joining us on the farming programme this morning. Obviously, if you have questions on the new contracts, speak to your contact at British Sugar. Time for some timely agronomy advice for what's been and looks like being again a wet week. Sean Sparling's here. Morning, Sean. Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. Yeah, a bit of a damp old do this week. It's Friday morning as I'm recording this for you. We had a wet day on Tuesday. I had 18.5 mil on Tuesday. A wet day Thursday. Another 12.5 mil on Thursday. More to come tomorrow and Sunday, um, but much cooler than it's been of late. So autumnal thoughts are being caused by this autumnal weather. Um, but that drop of rain coupled to the cooling temperatures and the shorter daylight hours means that things are starting to happen in those stale seed beds. The first signs of blackgrass germination now underway. So these stale seed beds are soon going to fill up with good flushes ready for the glyphosate, if you're fortunate enough to have glyphosate, of course, but that's for another day. Um, so you whip out that black grass prior to drilling those fields. Unfortunately, those such fields already drilled, of which there seem to be far too many around the county and beyond our near borders from talking to colleagues, they're going to have to rely upon a large helping of pre-em and luck in order to stop that black grass. It's accumulated wisdom that's been born out of scores of trials, years of mistakes and a lifetime of regrets which tells us not to drill black grassland until much later in October because the main black grass germination period as we all know is over the next two or three weeks through October. So as I said earlier it's only just starting to come through the ground now the black grass and it is after all only just October. So it's your choice I fully understand that you know I've heard all of the reasons why you've drilled some of the black grass fields already once again this year as I hear every single year if it comes wet we'll never get on again this autumn well I think that's happened once in my 32 years I've worked it all and I've killed it all so we've drilled it 
you know, not if it hasn't germinated, you haven't killed it all. It's not a bad field for black grass. You know, well, it is, and you know it is, and telling me that it isn't, and then expecting me to perform miracles because actually it is a bad field for black grass is only going to end in disappointment. The badness of any given field seems to vary depending upon how many fields you've got left to drill. We'll bump up the pre-em is also another favourite. Bumping up that pre-em when it's already bumped up as high as it can go isn't really an option. But I do know from years of doing this job, like King Canute, some things are best accepted. And luckily for me and for all the other agronomists out there where black grass is an issue, the rain is helping delay that inevitable rush to the drilling shed. So for now, we can breathe. Seed rate also needs to reflect the seedbed conditions and variety that you're putting in. So talk it through with your advisor before you go drilling. Aiming for 125 plants a square metre now is not going to be enough. 375, 400 plants a square metre is going to be way too many. 1,000 seed weight multiplied by target plants a square metre divided by percentage germination and multiplied by 100 plus percentage field losses. That is your uh, calculation that you do. Assume absolutely nothing. Don't just go with the same rate as you put on last year. Get that 1,000 seed weight and know what you're dealing with before you put it in. Pre-ems also mean pre-em. Applying them within two or three days of drilling is absolutely crucial to get that layer of herbicide onto the seed bed so that any germinating black grass germinates and its roots start to come out within that layer. If you leave it too long, with the weather such as it is, it's still warm. We've now got warm, wet soils. That black grass is going to set off very quickly now that we're into October, thanks in part to the flash of ultraviolet light that you're going to give it when you take the drill tractor and the drill cultivations through it. And once those black grass roots start to move down, they're always going to be growing away from any herbicide layer. And the black grass, it's going to stand far more chance of winning than you are. So drill it, roll it, spray it within 48, 72 hours preferably. That gives you the best hope of actually winning. Oilseed rate, cabbage stem flea beetles, still a pain in my proverbial. Voracious, chomping by adults taking late germinators as they emerge in some fields and in some areas and leaving things almost completely untouched in others. So know your fields and keep going out and looking. And remember that if you tested 100% resistance to cabbage stem flea beetle a couple of years ago when a lot of that free testing was available through ADAS, that situation is very unlikely to have changed in that intervening two years. So just let the carabid beetles, the parasitic fungi, the predatory wasps like Microtonus brassicae who predate on the eggs and the grubs and the birds etc do their bit. Don't chuck insecticides onto resistant pests because the friends and beneficials that we've just mentioned are neither going to appreciate nor survive that. It's hard but that's just the way it is. Disease levels in oilseed rape still very low, a little bit of foam are spotted about but the varietal resistance seems to be good enough to control things for us at the moment. So I've absolutely no doubt that the drills will be out in force next week, but please spare a thought for blackgrass, because all joking apart, if you haven't dealt with the blackgrass within the three or four days following the drilling, that means stale seed beds, glyphosate taking the bulk of it out before you go and drill, then you are unlikely to do so after that. We just don't have the armoury or the tools in our uh, pocket to reliably make that happen anymore. And by the way, bird cherry oat aphid numbers seem to be far, far higher than we're used to seeing at this time. 
time of year. And of course, the bird cherry oat aphid is the main vector of barley yellow dwarf virus. So there's another reason not to go charging in and trying to win the prize for the man who drilled up by early October 2021. Barley yellow dwarf virus control is now pretty much limited to varietal resistance in varieties like wolverine and a whole lot of luck and spiders come the autumn. So autumnal thoughts, as I said earlier, causing these autumnal weather to force it into our psyche. Come to think of it, I haven't actually seen a swallow for a day or two, so I hope they haven't gone before I had a chance to say goodbye. Things are definitely on the change. Let's see what the next seven days bring. Thanks as always, Sean. The government is to relax the regulation of gene editing crops to help commercial growing in England. What does that mean? Well, NFU Vice President Tom Bradshaw joins us. Tom, good morning. Good morning. Can we start by please explaining in plain English, what's the difference between GE, genetic editing, and GM, genetic modification? So genetic editing is an advanced breeding technology that basically is a cross which could have occurred naturally. So there's no foreign DNA being entered into the plant or animal. So from that point of view, it could have been a genetic cross which could have occurred uh, without human interference. Okay. Whereas genetic modification, we're actually changing the nature of the, the beast, are we? Generally, with genetic modification, we're introducing genes from a different plant, from a different species, to try and bring a specific... Uh, resistance or technology into that plant. So, yeah, you're introducing the foreign DNA. Okay. So why are the rules being relaxed all of a sudden? When we left the EU, there was an opportunity for our government to decide where it wanted to take its own regulatory framework. And it's very keen on adopting a science and evidence-based regulatory regime. And we do think that the adoption of GE, or genetic engineering, is something that gives us an opportunity to unlock some of the benefits that could exist within plant breeding and animal breeding, hopefully leading to more sustainability for the future. So what will the rules enable scientists and ultimately farmers to do? Well, initially, it's very much lab-based. So scientists in research labs will be able to use gene editing to manipulate the breeding within their laboratories. And then there will come a point, I'm sure, where we're able to start looking at growing these crops on a field-scale basis. At the moment, you would still have to apply for that license with DEFRA. And I think it would only be granted for research purposes. So Rothamsted actually have a gene editing trial this year, which will be grown outdoors, but in a very controlled way. And the the sort of end aim of this is to produce crops that are, what, more resistant to disease, things like that? So there's multiple aims. The first one that Rothamsted are using this year is actually about human health benefits. So it's lower in asparagin, which means that if you burn your toast, it's less carcinogenic. Um, So that's the first one we see. I mean, you could have higher zinc content in wheat. You could have something which is resistant to aphids. So I know sugar beet growers will be very excited about the technology, and there could well be a resistance uh, that can be bred into sugar beet via gene editing. So hopefully it will reduce the amount of inputs that we we need to use, making us more sustainable and increasing our productivity. So uh, reducing our impact on the environment. Okay, there seems to be a lot of pros to this. Are there any cons? And, and why are some organisations, for example, the, the Soil Association, calling it a disaster? I think if you want to look for a negative in this, then there is a concern from all involved uh, in the industry about you know, putting more power into some of the corporate sort of multinational businesses. But to me, that's not a discussion about gene editing or plant breeding. It's actually 
how do we stop that happening anyway? How do we make sure there's the opportunity for smaller businesses to benefit from the technology as well as larger multinational companies? So it's not about gene editing in itself. It's just making sure that we don't let too much power fall into the hands of too few. I think the other clear question that we've got here, we must make sure that we take our customer with us. So your listeners will be buying their products in the future. And we think that there's real benefits from gene editing, but ultimately it's down to them to decide that they're willing to support that. So there's a communication need here, isn't there? Definitely a communication need. I mean, I would suggest probably the time has never been better than now with the success of the vaccine rollout which was developed using this gene editing technique um, and you know, has enabled us to hopefully return to some sort of normality. And that's the sort of science that we're looking to use to help feed the world as well as to help protect uh, the population. And the NFU's position is clearly thumbs up in support, yeah? In support, but like I say, we must take the um, customer with us. They've got, we've got to have the support of the wider um, public. Uh, And we do need to make sure that it's available for all. And finally, Tom, do we have any idea of a time frame for this? It is going to be incredibly controlled to begin with. So let's not think this is something which is going to be in the fields in the next year or two. It's probably going to be at least five years before it's commercially available, probably longer than that in reality. Okay, Tom, thanks ever so much for joining us on the farming programme this morning. No problem at all. There are more details on the DEFRA website and nfuonline.com. To the markets we go now with this weekly review, Openfield's Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. The USDA released their quarterly stocks and small grains report on Thursday night, which has been known in the past for springing up the odd surprise. The small grains crop report will also cover spring wheat acreage abandonment, which could lower the US crop further following the drought. The report does not cover the estimated U.S. maize yields, however, but early anecdotal reports suggest them to be variable to disappointing and below the USDA's optimistic forecasts. There is also talk that the Balkan and Ukrainian maize yields are lower than forecast, whilst French wheat is reported to be good, although they have been delayed with rain over harvest. The much-reported global energy crunch has impacted grain prices with reports of plant shutdowns, fertiliser shortages with rising costs potentially lowering the prospects for next season. Rising crude oil prices are supportive of ethanol producers who are benefiting from the increased CO2 and DDG values. The energy crisis is also a concern for China, as they have difficulty in handling their harvest, which needs drying and processing. After some plants were asked to conserve electricity, this stoked renewed fears in a surge for the world agricultural food prices. Global milling wheat prices continue to rise with Algeria and Pakistan purchasing in excess of 1 million metric tonnes again this week as it becomes increasingly clear that consumers have been wrong-footed by the reduced availability in the EU, Russia, the USA and indeed Canada. So moving on to barley this week, market continues as before with domestic market following the lead of the free on board market itself being supported again by the European interest. This is the ongoing debate as final yields come in for the crop size over the UK. But feed barley remains in focus with a discount narrowing to feed wheat, which will impact on demand. The market is trying to cover those questions whilst remaining conscious of the demand from the near continent as well. Moving on to oilseed rape, oilseed rape markets remain in on somewhat of a leg higher with external markets adding support to the Matif futures market. With the evolving energy crisis and sharp focus linked with the other markets, we have seen some support for crude oil values breaching $80 a barrel. And this, in turn, has helped veg oil markets. Soy oil has seen steady gains over the week, with canola values also being supported to the move. 
With the Matif futures reaching more than contract highs almost on a daily basis, helped by a weaker euro, this has helped the UK values. The pound itself has also weakened with some concern over trajectory of the economic recovery with energy and fuel disruptions, along with the closing down of the furlough scheme at the end of September. Fundamentals remain supportive in the broader complex, however China remains the key in terms of their demand, which for now remains. So looking forward to prices this week, feed wheat for October is 194 to 196, November 195 to 197, February 198 to 200, and May 200 to 202. Milling wheat premiums are circa 30 to 32 pounds. Feed barley for October is 180 to 182, November 181 to 183, February 184 to 186, May 186 to 189. And malting barley premiums are currently 30 to 35 pounds. Oilseed rate for October and November is 550 pounds, February 555, and moving forward to May 22, 560 pounds a tonne. Thank you very much. Many thanks, Kit Dickinson from Open Field. The Farming Programme, five-day forecast. A low-pressure, cloudy week with rain most days and highs in the low teens. Staying cloudy today with a southwesterly in the mid-teens MPH. Rains around this afternoon. Highs inland of around 15 Celsius. Monday looks much the same with a slightly lighter wind. The wind stays southwesterly on Tuesday, picking up a little and gusting up to 40 miles per hour. Heavy rain likely all day and colder with a high of just 11. The pressure starts to get back to normal by Wednesday, a drier day with the wind easing and highs of 14 Celsius. And the end of the week looks cloudy with showers, a light southerly and highs of 15 Celsius. One final thing, the fuel shortage is, thankfully, for the most part, not affecting farmers. However, we're being reminded to ensure that security is tight and that vehicles are locked away at night. There have been fuel thefts from farms. OK, well, that's it for this week. I'm Steve Orchard. We're back on Lynx FM, the app, podcast, online and everywhere from 7 o'clock next Sunday morning. Ask your smart speaker to play the farming programme and have a good week.